This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, Congressional Brinksmanship. If you haven't noticed, every few years, it seems like Congress is threatening to not raise the debt ceiling. The reason is a good one. It's not because the U.S. should spend less money. It's because threatening something catastrophic is an excellent negotiation tactic. Now, with congressional approval awaiting, the Speaker of the House and the President have struck a deal. Still, markets hate this debate. The economy at large hates this debate. So why do we have it all the time? Today, we break down the proposed solution, talk about the debt ceiling, and why it matters so much. And welcome to episode 74 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. I am Nick. That's Chris. This is brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters, a product we actually endorse and use, which is how you're listening to this right meow. Chris, I also wanted to point out that there is another Game Theory podcast. There are two other Game Theory podcasts out there. There's one called The Game Theory Podcast, which is about basketball by Bomani Jones, and that's also on HBO terrible name uh for that the artist formerly known as hbo i think you mean it's now on something called max max and then there's another game theory podcast that basically does what we do and they're newer and um are they better i don't know i haven't listened probably Probably. (laughs) i would i would imagine there are math uh terms in their in their titles but there's also zelda Mm -hmm. so it seems like we should meet up and bro out at some point i think um i will say i don't have Inferiority complex and size doesn't matter, but they have more reviews and ratings than us. So that's kind of on player three. I mean, we we made our moves, and on Apple, we have 20-something four-ish five-star reviews, and they have like 40. And I just, I'm not a math guy. That's twice as many. Yeah, look, <laughs> player three, you're only as strong as your weakest link. I think every game theorist knows that. Right. And, and there's we nothing can't we can get rid of Nick. Damn it, that was the joke I was going to make. We can't get rid of him because he does all the back end editing and all the hard work. Gosh. I, I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a come to come to the table meeting, if you will. And give but us no, five. that's exciting. I, I didn't yeah. realize that there was a new, new podcast. I hadn't checked I out it either. Um, it shows like people like this kind of thing, and it's 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 be, I, it has made me a weirdly a humanist optimist. Um, people who adhere to game theory and just straight logic, they are going to beat all of us at stuff. But the rest of that's us true. don't, which is enjoyable. It's a kind of a, a fun, nice thing. Speaking of that, um, we are going to talk about the debt ceiling today and uh, what it means and what it doesn't mean, and how brinksmanship works, and how the, the cleverness and riskiness of the Republican side of things um, because they are the ones that know how valuable of an asset this is. Before we get to that, we have breaking news. Elizabeth Holmes reports to prison today. Incredible. Yeah, we're, we're celebrating it informally on the show as get your ass in jail day. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, she was on a heavily featured in one of our episodes as one of the fraudster files. Yep. She has her own documentary. She has her own fake, uh, not fake, fictional Series. Live, yeah, live I think action. it's on Hulu or Hulu. Something? Yeah, Hulu. Um, 
So I have my thoughts on that, and I that might be an episode actually too. I am largely done with live reenactments. If there is or could be a real documentary, a really good documentary made about it. So since I have seen the documentary, I have not watched a second of that show because there's no amount of acting I think Amanda Seyfried could do that sounds like Elizabeth Holmes acting of herself. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. right. So that's and my she, it, It's the voice thing. Yeah. It, it's so weird and it's so obviously fake, but I, I guess, I mean, it's enough to pull the wool over the eyes of some people. Yes. I, I don't know. We've said enough about Elizabeth Holmes, and we are very happy to see that she is finally getting her just desserts after defrauding people of millions of dollars and the, people in danger and screwing around with lives. people's money is bad, Chris. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Screwing around, like making tech employees and sort of like lab employees screw around with blood and unsanitary moments like that could kill you. That is a, and yeah. or and there, believe me, if you know anybody in the medical field, there are many fates much worse than death. Some of which are like chronic, we say sexually transmitted, but just like blood borne transmitted stuff that you could have gotten in these, that people could have been incredibly, they tortured essentially and not had medical insurance because her company was a fraud. So what she did, she could, she should go to prison for many things. Um, and she is, which is great. Froster Files yep. is going to return this summer. It's been a minute. We did a couple in the fall. We have a painter that's been pulling the wool over the eyes of people and from mm-hmm. a, ch- a, a Chinese national in the United States that hoodwinks some people, and he was the man. Also, uh, Murder Among the Mormons, if you want to catch up with us and watch that documentary, that guy, might he might be the goat. Um, we shall see. So that's all coming yeah. up this summer. And before we crazy get to stuff. the... Yes, crazy. Uh, did you, you watched the whole thing, right? I watched, I think I watched, got through like half of it and yeah. started watching something else. Sure, that know. happens. Yeah, that happens. Um, one more thing before we get to the episode is Fable. We've all downloaded Fable. It's an app. If you haven't downloaded Fable, download Fable. If you want to participate in our summer reading book club, I don't think it is, I think it's possible. I have a goal that as a unit, we can read four books by Labor we Day can. Tuesday. And I think two right. nonfiction, two fiction. What do you think? I think that's fair. I, I think we alternate them. I think we start with nonfiction because yep. this is ostensibly a game theory podcast. Totally. Game theory is not fictional. If anything, it's shown to be more real than many other forces in our lives. Right. So I think we should start there. I and agree. then we go to a fiction book. So, yeah. uh, but, but that means our summer is going to be a summer of reading. We think now, okay, yeah, Labor Day is a long ways away. So we close. have months. It's September for crying out loud. We're not even into June yet. Player three, that is a, that's a false flag. <laughs> your your brain is tricking you into thinking you have plenty of time if you yeah. want to accomplish this goal with us reading four books this summer. It's you ever heard of Nick? You ever heard of Hunstadt's law? No, what? That sounds like an episode. Hunstadt's law. What's yeah, it's it, it's like a it's a thing named after a guy named Hunstadt. I guess uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. I I think the phrasing that sticks with me is something is gonna take longer than you think it's gonna take, even after you factor in Hunstadt's law. So you think okay. I've got four months to read these books. Like, well, you know, really, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. So you know it's going to take longer than four months to do that. But then it's still going to take longer than that, even though you factored in the fact that it's going to take longer than you think. Yeah, yeah. So actually, something. So I, I, the wife got a peek behind the curtain this weekend because I, in April, Succession, the smash hit show from HBO, debuted its final season. And I had not seen yes. season three. There's four seasons. The series wrapped up. Maybe we'll mention that in a minute. I was like, yeah, I'm going to meander through this. I have a month, one episode a day. I will catch up. By the time the series finale comes on, I will be there. On the Sunday of the final episode, I had watched three. 
I watched two more that Sunday, and then I skipped ahead seven episodes, watched one right in the middle of season four, and then participated in the series finale anyway. And I told the missus, this is what college was like for me. I, I did about <laughs> 70% of it, and then I took the final anyway, and good enough. <laughs> That's kind of what I did with Game of Thrones, actually. It, it actually sounds really similar. I watched season one, yep. watched a few episodes of season two, all kind of together, decided I do not have time for this garbage. And then uh, I was kind of seeing somebody who was planning to have like a big... They watched uh, that big snow fight thing that was built up for eight yeah, years. Yeah, uh, the Battle of Winterfell or the, the Night King yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, Winterfell. So we watched that episode and everybody was really into it and they said, yeah, you know, it was really nice to see a good episode after a while because I guess it had been like a year and a half of just garbage. So, and then I watched the last episode and it was also garbage. Real quick aside on Game of Thrones. It was the opposite of Lord of the Rings where they saved all of the brooding. So Lord of the Rings, the first book, or the first book mostly, but the first movie, there's a lot of walking and brooding and anticipation, and then mostly nothing happens. There's just a lot yep. of facts that you need. And then the series becomes incredible, like it's, I mean, The Return of the King. Game of Thrones is the opposite. Season one is setting the stage. Seasons two, three... Two, three, four, the best shit ever. Seasons five, like, uh-oh. And then season six, seven, eight was like, there's a lot of brooding and walking now. And like, how did we get here? Why is there so much brooding and walking? We, we went the opposite direction. Anyway. Okay. Oh, and by, by the way, I want to do a quick course correct. Yeah, okay. I, I, I misstated the name of the law. It's not Hunstead's law. It's Hofstetter's law. Yeah, that sounds right, because I Googled Hunstead's law, and I'm getting now direct targeted yeah, ads to law firms in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. It's named after Douglas Hofstetter. Hofstetter. In, wrote it in 1979. It uh, said, it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hofstetter's law. Yeah, great. Then that happened to me this weekend. Okay, so the Game Theory Book Club, two nonfictions, two fictions. We got a, a, a recommendation from our power listener, Allie, and she said, what if we add in a classic book that people say that they've read that they haven't. And that one is obviously The Great Gatsby, but I'm going to veto The Great Gatsby because I have read it and once or once was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. I, I do love the suggestion. Shout out to Allie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like player 2.5, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She might be captain of player three. We'll see. Maybe we should make fight to the death or something. Make him play a game. To, to the death. <laughs> play, play chess to the death. Brinksmanship to the yep. death. Um, so like a classic maybe as one of us that we've all been posturing or haven't been like, oh, I actually haven't read it. We're like, oh, yeah, I should have read Hemingway. I don't know. Maybe Tom Hanks yeah. or Tom Hanks. The sun also rises. Like, I don't know anybody who's read that. That's a great one. That one or um, Twain. I said Tom Hanks. I met Mark Twain. That uh, was bad. Yeah. yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks. That was bad. It was Good a tough, God. Tough, tough time for me. What are we doing here? What we're doing is we put this episode off So in April. Let's get into it. The debt ceiling. In this episode, we're going to talk about why America can't keep spending all this money and going into further debt, Chris. We have to stop raising the debt ceiling. We've got to be responsible for our debts, right? Well, you'd think so. Mm. You ever see that movie about the president? Uh, it's called Dave. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah. I, very, very basic plot summary. The president falls ill or gets injured or something happens to him and they need to like take him to do some kind of medical procedure. Body in double. The meantime, yeah. In the meantime, they don't want people to know about it. So they do this like clandestine op, but they need to find a guy who looks exactly like the president so he can like stand in and be the fake president. Extraordinarily stupid premise, mm. unless you're a conspiracy theorist. But this <laughs> this movie's called Dave because the main character is named Dave and he pretends to be the president and he like takes the reins of the government for a little bit. And it's supposed to be, I think, this kind of folksy, down-to-earth Let's get our political elites out of the clouds and back down to where the real people live. Because there's this scene where he brings in a buddy of his to try to like balance the government's books and try to make it work. And, and the guy says to him, well, Dave, if I 
ran my business the way the government's running it, I'd be bankrupt within two months. <laughs> and people think, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, you should run the government like a business. That's a great idea. Except people don't quite realize when they say that, they're treating the government as if it has the same fundamental purpose, objective, as the business. The goal of a business is to grow so that it can make money for the owner. Right. The government shouldn't function in that way. No. So the objectives are not... They, they're not the same. They shouldn't be the same. So obsession with having like balanced books. Yeah, if you're a business owner, you don't want to be carrying a lot of debt unless you have a really good purchasing strategy that's going to result in more purchasing power later on, like the Ubers and the, you know, the millennial lifestyle subsidies that we've talked about on previous episodes. Yes. The government has different priorities. It has Medicare, Medicaid. It has all kinds of benefits. It has public works, things that we all use Roads, streets, utilities, schools, you name you know, the, the postal service, which I think is one of the wonders of the modern world. I don't yeah, understand how they're so efficient and so effective at getting yeah. physical objects from a precise location to a precise location elsewhere. The, and not to mention, they have to keep the country safe. Yep. They have to spend money on defense because there are competing interests in the international world. And those interests don't necessarily align with like the safety, security, and well-being of American citizens. So yeah. they got to spend money on those things, and spending money means taking on debt. Yeah, so, and there's also a common misconception about what the debt ceiling means, and this is, gets into a fundamental, uh, I guess, asset. So that we're going to get into politics here with the Democrats and Republicans and get to the facts of the deal that was, as we're recording this, was struck recently, and one of the reasons we wanted to wait on this is because I could tell that this was going to be a problem in April, but then I was like, well, as we're waiting, we're going to record it, and it's going to be undone. So it looks like a deal is going to go before Congress. Depends on when you're listening to this. It could be over. So we're going to talk about this uh, anyway. But it sounds like debt ceiling just means hypothetical credit limit. Like on your credit card, the credit company's like, oh, well, you pay your bill reasonably well and you spend way too much money. So like now you have 5,000 extra dollars to spend. It sounds like that's what this is. And that isn't quite what's happening. That being said, I agree with you. What is the point of paying taxes and not having stuff? What is the point of winning World War II and not having stuff? We have the money. Let's spend it and enjoy our lives. Yeah, and and, and that all comes down to what I think each, each person probably has a different point of view of like what is the like the function of government like what constitutes a reasonable good or service and reasonable people can and should disagree on that like that's yeah. how democracy is run sure but what is not negotiable is that the the goal of the government is not to grow and make money for the owner like that's not we're, we're not trying to it's, it's not a ponzi scheme so when when you talk about like debt limits it's it's not like a, you know an investment now is going to result in the government getting bigger it's going to result in the business getting bigger down the line but it is going to be able it's it's going to enable the government to provide services and in some cases goods i guess to people who need it or otherwise don't have like a social safety net that protects them from that so i'm i'm looking at the US Department of Treasury's formal definition of of debt limit and and you'll keep in mind that these definitions are kind of they're reflective of the people who are kind of in charge of the government you know, yeah. we we have you know a democratic president democratic senate right now so there's it, there's going to mention uh, some things that sound really good to spend money on that are of interest to people. It says the debt limit is the total amount of money that the United States government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations. So it's legally obligated to provide these services. And then it goes on to list the examples, including Social Security, Medicare benefits, med- military salaries, interest on the national debt. Mm. So it's just like every other kind of debt. I mean, yep. it's 
part of the part of the national economy, tax refunds and other payments. The debt limit does not authorize new spending commitments. Right. It simply allows the government to finance existing legal obligations that Congress and presidents have made in the past. So it's it's a function of the budget and without the ability to go over the the authorized limit, then the government will no longer be able to provide goods and services in accordance with its legal obligations that it has passed for its like the Congress and presidents have signed in the law. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's more of like, it's not like a new credit limit on the credit card. It is like, it, it's kind of going up a tax bracket in a weird way. And the, the reason that this is interesting to me is that the, the complexity of what it is and what it isn't allows the Republican party to kind of, get off message of what it actually is and make it seem like it's something else because it's called a debt ceiling. And as a result of that, it is an incredibly powerful tool in their war chest when uh, the Republican Party usually, when they want to kind of hold, I don't want to say hold it hostage, but kind of play this brinksmanship game where that they want something else adjacent to the debt ceiling to go up, which you know everybody needs to happen if we want to be consider continue to be a superpower. They know that if they play this chicken game with this particular thing, that they can get stuff and that's just that's just good poker like that's just good that's just good playing the game but it wouldn't work so well if it was on the other side because the uh constituents of democrats largely are in major metropolitan areas and they are significantly more educated and they care a lot more about deep economics and kind of boring shit and as a result of that they aren't hoodwinked by the idea that like oh it's a debt ceiling like well that's not what the debt ceiling is but you know someone maybe in rural alabama or tennessee that's trying to live off the land or, or, you know, a blue collar workers like, yeah, we should stop spending so much money. And like, oh yeah, we should stop spending so much money. They need their constituents to not be mad about playing this game of chicken. Um, and it works. It's a very brilliant strategy. Yeah. The, the expression that you should never let a crisis go to waste. Oh, like that, I've that, never that's heard what's that. going on here. That's really good. I'm eating a muffin. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. You and you, you and your mid-show snacks. Mm-hmm. Is it going to become like a new thing? You're going to crop up with some new tasty surprise every Tuesday? There's a vegan bakery about a three-minute walk from me, and um, I wish they had meat and sandwiches, but they don't, so here I am. How do you... Do they use like a egg substitute or something? I've to, heard flaxseed works. Flaxseed? Flaxseed replaces yeah, egg. I think so. Wow. I don't know. Okay. Not vegan is that a vegan. new is that a new establishment or has it been around for a it's while? It's been around. It's a, so I live in a college town and it's a uh, it's a college town hotspot. They have really great outlets. It's very like under the radar. Not a lot. Like a lot of people go there, but it's a good place to study. And then people are in and out. I mean, it's it's a good coffee shop. I mean, it seems I I haven't been there. We I've I've been able to visit it a couple yeah, a time yeah, or yeah. two. Yeah, and I've got some really tasty like biscuits, like yeah. breakfast biscuits. Not that place. But that was not a vegan place. No, that place is not open till eight a.m. because they don't care about people. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're working hard. We're we got that Sigma grind set. I'm not drinking coffee. I do love the taste of coffee. I'm not drinking it because I like it. I am kind of, but I Daddy needs you know his medicine. Could you stop at any time if you wanted to? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. I, I have one more. Caf- I have just one more, and then you're good. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. I started getting afternoon cappuccinos, and what a great habit that is. <laughs> well, speaking of being able to stop at yeah. any time. Even if you decide you don't want to stop, you're, okay. you're still able to. You could, theoretically. Yes. Do you have any guesses on how much money is currently in the U.S. debt limit right now? Like what, what, where is the debt ceiling at? Yes, I would like to guess... 10 seconds on the clock, please. Uh, 18 trillion. Ooh. 
Yeah, it was eighteen trillion in like two thousand eleven. So right now, 30? the federal government's public debt. So as of February tenth, I'm looking at data from Pew Research Center. It's it's probably a little bit higher now. The federal government's total public debt stood at just under thirty one point four six trillion dollars as huh. of February tenth. So huh. nearly all of the debt, almost all of that, is subject to stat the statutory debt limit. At and by almost all of, they mean of that thirty one point four six trillion, thirty one point three eight trillion is subject to that statutory debt limit. I don't know what it means. I, I so it, I, according to Pew here, it says there's twenty five million dollars left over in unused borrowing capacity, hmm. and I don't really understand how that gets worked into the statutory debt limit, but. I mean, the the limit is thirty one point three eight trillion dollars, and we're we're like we're there. Yeah, and, um, and in fact, we're just to just to give you a timeline. Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House and leader of the Republicans, and Joe Biden reached an agreement on Saturday. So this is Saturday, May what twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Yeah, there's just a big eraser through the calendar over the Memorial Day weekend, twenty something. Yeah, truly, in 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 its late twenties, the month of May. Yes, in the late I, I, really quick aside i just really quick this is this has been such a weird year we've said it's been, felt like a weird year has it not been may 24th for three weeks yo it's yeah weird. I, don't, I don't understand what's going on it's may 24th got, again today yeah I, we're 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 blazing through yeah, 2023 it's been weird. Maybe, I, I don't know maybe it's like maybe it's like a rubber band like the last few years have been so weirdly slow and amorphous and suddenly mm-hmm. like we've let go and the slingshot is just now that we're asking us forward through in the time. cycle, I'm sure. Okay, so a deal has been yeah. reached theoretically, and it's go. It's going to go before the most competent organization on the planet, our United States Congress, where nobody will fuck this up, I'm sure. And so yeah, that baby. happens on in the middle of the week after the deal was reached during the weekend. Yeah, on Wednesday, the House of Representatives is going to look at the deal, and you, you you would think that Kevin McCarthy would have a bunch of Republicans in lockstep with him, and if you reach an agreement that satisfies your fiscal interests, your budgetary interests, then you're going to go ahead and vote for the deal. But of course, it, in modern America, I think the thing that most simply characterizes the political environment is that somebody is always going to be not just dissatisfied, but like really pissed off about whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's still going to be true for right-wing, like right-leaning Republicans and this debt ceiling agreement. So this is a Reuters article kind of explaining okay, we've reached an agreement between McCarthy and Biden. Now it's got to go through the through the legal process here. And they say that a handful of Republican lawmakers are going to try to oppose the deal to raise the debt ceiling. And it could cause problems because it's got to go through the House and then the Senate. Uh, the, opposi- the opposition, you know, reading from Reuters here, the opposition illustrates the hurdles that Democratic President Joe Biden and top congressional Republican Kevin McCarthy are going to have to overcome. Of course, DeSantis weighs in on this, and, and and the basic logic that these kind of right, far farther right Republicans have is that our country will still be careening toward bankruptcy, to to quote DeSantis on Fox News, mm-hmm. and this is really just people taking advantage of the opportunity to threaten catastrophic damage. It, it's it's like uh, you seen the new Ant Man? No. Well, it's 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 worth seeing. I think once. <laughs> but there's this line in there, and I, I think it makes it into the, one of the trailers. Like, well, I don't have to win, but you just have to lose. Mm. So I, I think a lot, uh, the, the, to be successful in negotiations like this, to get your interests secured, 
I think it takes a little bit of craziness and like willingness to lose. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay if, if we suffer the consequences because then I can just blame you for the consequences and my base is still going to support me, but you can't afford to take that kind of political hit. So it's, it's better for me if we both suffer catastrophic failures. So I, I guess Nick, that, that kind of raises the question, what happens if the U S hits the debt ceiling? Yeah. And what are, what are some of the consequences to, if we, okay, let's say we go over the debt ceiling. What, what yeah. goes wrong? So a couple things. First of all, the way we look internationally is bad. It makes us look like we are not going to be doing business with people. And as a result of that, when it looks like you are not capable of or interested in doing business officially, and this is true as an individual, uh, banks and other organizations look at you and you're like, they're not a serious buyer. Like I'm trying to buy a house right now. And I think, are they a serious buyer? Are they not a serious buyer? Also, banks are like, your credit... I don't know. We can't really trust you now. We still super duper trust you. We just don't super duper duper trust you. We don't trust you like we say we trust the United Kingdom or Canada, which would be <laughs> another embarrassment. If we are fall and credit rating below Canada and the United Kingdom, then we really got to look ourselves in the mirror. So when that happens, internationally, business gets a little weird. And that means for the pe people who are importing and exporting shit and trying to do things, make money with their businesses, it's going to get tough. And it, making money will be not as easy as it is with a higher credit rating. Secondly, Every single big budget spend will then become under a microscope in a way that it hasn't been because we can't trust that we can afford to do the things that we're passing into law. And the two big ones, the two, our two biggest vulnerabilities and the two biggest ones that are on the chopping block or not the chopping block, but could get fucked by this are the ones we need the most. And that is Medicare and Medicaid and the defense of our country. And those two either will drain everything else or they're going to have to be cut. And I cannot describe to you as someone who works in senior living and senior housing as an information person. And I'm sure that you being in Washington, DC, you know, like should not touch those. I would say, in fact, maybe a little more might not be a bad idea. Yeah. And of course, all that depends on who you ask. And mm -hmm. I think people you know, in, in DC circles, and maybe it's just like a millennial thing. Maybe it's just a national security nerd thing. I think a lot of people take the controversial yet brave position that less war is good and so spending <laughs> yeah. for defense is contributing to warmongering but that is a much smaller cut of the u.s government's spending than our entitlements like social security medicare and medicaid right i don't think people realize that i mean you, you see the the u.s I'm gonna, I'm gonna quick fact check the u.s uh defense budget for this year it's like a trend, I, I think it's somewhere it's uh in fy 2023 the Department of Defense had a $1.99 trillion yeah. distributed among its six subcomponents, uh, but a large portion of that is paying out like veterans, like the VA and, and veterans benefits and yep. military salaries. And that doesn't, that isn't included in things like, oh, here's a huge contract from Northrop Grumman to invent a bulletproof killing machine. So yeah, I, I, I think yeah. people sometimes underestimate that factor, but that that doesn't mean that the government should like, okay, well, we've hit our debt ceiling. It's time to stop spending on things. That would be utterly chaotic. Uh, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations has an interesting write-up about this. There's this guy, Roger Ferguson. Uh, he's an economist with CFR. And he gave a, a pretty good analysis of like what, what exactly would happen. And you hit the nail on the head, Nick. I mean, it, it would be chaotic, to say the least, because the U.S. government would effectively say, like, we can't pay our debts anymore. We would go yeah. into default. We're unable to, to pay back the loans that we've received. And we, was, we saw the effects of that at the local level during the housing crisis in 2008, the financial crisis that followed. And for the U.S. government, I mean, the most, for, for the last 60, 70 years, 
like the most ironclad defender of freedom, the most ironclad, reliable organization basically on planet Earth. We set the tone in like the culture wars. We won the victory over the Soviet Union through blue jeans, rock and roll, and tampons. Yep. It, it's as rock solid as can be. And for that to default, it throws basically the, the entire global financial system into chaos. Uh, it also, as, as you said, includes a downgrade from credit rating agencies. Uh, it would be a huge drop in consumer confidence. And then uh, Jacob Liu, who's a, who's a former secretary of the treasury, he said, it's pretty safe to say that if like we're to default, it makes the odds of recession almost certain. Yeah. And that's especially not good because I think for a period of time, I, I want to say it was like last summer, the U S technically was in recession because we had GDP, Consecutive loss yeah. For, yeah, in consecutive quarters. Yeah. Germany last week slipped into a recession. So they said uh, last year's energy price shock took its toll on consumer spending. And output from Germany, which is the largest economy in Europe, dropped 0.3% in the first quarter. And at the end of 2022, it lost 0.5%. And that's... Two quarters of losses in a row. I mean, that's half a year of losses in a row. Yep. So for the biggest economy in Europe to be in recession, and then if the U.S. government were to default on top of that, I mean, that's basically chaos in the entirety of the Western world, financially yeah, speaking. It is. It, it is bad. And for us, it could vary. If it's if it's a temporary situation, and then they just don't come to an agreement for a number of days, or maybe they don't agree to lift it for six months or something, or like if the Republicans are serious about not wanting the debt ceiling to be raised and not just playing a game of brinksmanship, which we covered in our nuclear weapons episode, mm-hmm. which is very much seems like a, a game of brinksmanship. We're like, it's just, a, it's just a very, very scary threat. If they're serious and it gets banned for a short amount of time, I think the United States could bounce back. I mean, it's like one of those things, where, okay, well, they agree to it in December and they really fuck shit up for a while, but it won't be bad for years and years. If they don't agree to it for two years, they agree not to raise it for a period of two years. This it's very possible that this will be looked back historically with things that are happening in China and Russia as like the, the beginning of the end of our uh, supremacy as the world's best and biggest country. I think that like you could, in, in 50 years, you'd be look back at this debt ceiling thing along with COVID and be like, that's when um, it started to go bad for them. That that's what's at stake here. It's it's we are no longer the one that can be trusted. And um, we have a a rival economically that is very interested in being the one that's trusted and they've got plenty of resources and they're totally willing to sacrifice the health of uh, portions of their population for the greater good, quote unquote. Um, so yeah, this is bad. I mean, it's a bad thing. And part of this, this is like media flooding that we've had so much crazy shit happen in the last two years that nobody really knows what's really bad and really scary anymore and what isn't. Um, yeah, everything it's, seems it's like true. it's the same. Yeah, everything seems the same amount of bad. Like, no, this is on the ranking of bad as a country. This is really bad. Like, this is like COVID bad almost. Yeah, we, we've we've been crying wolf for a long time. Like, like when everybody that you politically disagree with becomes a fascist, mm-hmm. then suddenly when actual fascists start showing up, like the, in, a couple of weeks ago in Washington, there was a march of the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. They were wearing their uniform of two loose khakis and blue oh. polo shirts, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was the most embarrassing display of false patriotism I've ever seen. They didn't really do anything. They just kind of stood around, and there's some great videos of people heckling them, rightly so. But when people like that actually show up on the political scene and you've been calling people fascist since the Bush era, then suddenly it, it, we, we lose the effect of an alarm bell because it's always ringing. So I, I think we've done that. And, and that's happened for the last couple of years. It's not just because people are overreacting to things. There have been some really, really bad, really scary situations. There still are. I mean, Russia is at war with Ukraine. And also kind of Poland. 
yeah, like it's. I mean, it's. It has been a really rough, really strange few years, and so when you get something that's a little bit more complex, I don't think people really understand. I certainly don't understand where all of U.S. debt goes. I don't understand the exact details of like the financial process by which the U.S. government acquires debt. I mean, I know they issue bonds to people, but you know, understanding who owns those bonds, how they can be paid off, what are the actual functional consequences of that at, at, at like the local level, at the personal level. So, you, so actually, this is a good time to talk about that because we yeah. we ha- have found some information on that. So you talk about, okay, we lose our status as a world power. We don't want to lose our status as a world power. No, no. We lose our reliability and credibility. Our image gets tarnished. Uh, and it's essentially we, like welching on a bet. You're like, okay, it's like a $10 yeah. bet. And you're like, whatever. But you're like, okay, well, actually, you can't come to the Super Bowl party now anymore, dude. You're not one of us. Yeah, you're actually not really as trustworthy as we once thought. Yep. You know, you either either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and that would mm-hmm. be the case here. Don't we but, love comparing ourselves to Rome? Yeah. <laughs> but but that raises the question of what is that what does that actually look like for like yeah. a day to day person? And we have some number number on numbers on this. So according to Goldman Sachs, if the U.S. were to break the debt ceiling and default, it would immediately stop about ten percent of U.S. economic activity. Yeah. 10% of the world's largest, most powerful economy. Uh, another think tank called Third Way estimated that the U.S. default would result in 3 million people losing their jobs. On top of the million or so that have been cut from careers, and that's the different than jobs, but yep. these are now also jobs that are being cut. So there's not even options for people who are just trying to make a couple bucks till they find their next real gig. Yeah, and it, it, so that would have a huge, huge effect on the unemployment rate, on broader labor market, and the quality of life, and like really like the threat to people's personal well-being because as unemployment goes up, right, safety declines, lifespan decreases. It's it's unbelievable how bad it would be to, for us to lose three million jobs. It's not just like wow, well, we need, people need more work. Like no, no, people's livelihoods and lives like very really are on the line. Yes, uh, Third Way also estimates that the cost of the average 30-year mortgage, which is already higher, I mean, it's historically high, it would go up by $130,000 yep. to say nothing of the interest. And it would also raise interest rates enough to increase the national debt by another $850 billion. Yep. So, and they also point out that higher interest rates could take taxpayer money away from like actual necessary federal investments like infrastructure. So this like build back better thing where we're trying to improve like actual physically crumbling bridges. Literally in Davenport. Did you see the Davenport thing? No, what happened? A building collapsed, an apartment building like partially collapsed. A portion of a building collapsed on Memorial Day. I think it was Memorial Day. There's that or Sunday. Google it. It is wild. It just like fell. I think it was like six stories or so. It's a six-story building and like a chunk of it, like a third of it in the middle just... Oh my god! It, yeah. Well, didn't didn't that happen in Florida recently too? Yeah, well, that was in Miami. That was like poorly built stuff. People cutting corners. This Davenport thing was just an old building that was not must not have been up to code or something. But like this, it literally crumbling people's homes. It's crazy. And so, so the the money that the federal government needs to obligate to programs like that. Say what you want about what is and isn't reasonable spending. The things that are necessary and legally required of the government, they can't pay that anymore because all of a sudden that money has to go to interest payments. So defaulting would be catastrophic for everybody who relies on the kind of money and resources the government is able to dedicate to things like infrastructure. And then to just say nothing else of like education, say nothing of health care. Right. It's, it, it's truly a comprehensive it's a, a comprehensively bad set of consequences. And they would last for a long, I mean, years. Decades, potentially. Potentially forever. 
like like I said, like this is potential a potential situation where we look back and like, yep, this is sort of when they went into their retirement tour, the way that France and and the UK did in the in the in the early eighteen hundreds. Were like, yeah, that was when they they had to figure, they had to do some house cleaning, and then they never really rose to prominence in the same way again. It became a hundred year struggle. They lost World War II, then they won World War II, whatever, however you want to argue it. And then they never, they were never, the, the, the empires of France and England never came back after, after that kind of stuff. They, they became socialist-y, they, a lot of taxes, economics, and they became old. And this is, this is what that is for us, to me, symbolically. Factually, financially, it just means that we are not serious anymore in the same way that we were. We're not yeah, we're not the go-to guys when shit needs to get done. Someone else, but no one, no one is, which is even more dangerous because people are going to want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Janet Yellen wrote a. She's, she's the uh, she's a former Federal Reserve chair. Yep. yep. She's uh, current Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, she wrote to Congress about this about the debt ceiling limit in January of this year, and I think her words are uh, harrowing and probably true. Uh, she says failure to meet the government's obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, yep. the livelihoods of all Americans, and global financial stability. I mean, we we actually may never financially recover from this. <laughs> Good but, but, but like, really, but like factually we, 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 true. Yeah. So um, this there are some clips that went viral in 2015 in season five three of the newsroom which was aaron sorkin's project uh he's the famous movie writer scriptwriter west wing uh a few good men charlie wilson's war most recently molly's game which was a really good one he yeah, was a good movie he was a great movie um uh jessica chastain excellent actress she Incredible. is she's outstanding also idris elba was a great morality guy and that Dude, was a great movie idris elba is good in every he single thing is like he's becoming the guy like, oh idris elba's in this fuck yeah i'll watch it oh yeah i mean yeah. It's, he, he's uh he's like a remote dropper Yes, he is. Oh, Even yeah. though I don't really have cable anymore. I can't really no, do that. Uh, but just do it on your phone. Is, is an app closer? Is that what you call it? We just close all the other apps. I'm just watching this now. He's, um, a, he's, he's a phone dropper. So instead of scrolling on my phone while I've got a TV on in the background, I'm like, oh, shit, Idris Elba's on. I like that's perk a, up a little bit. I'm like, all right, here we go. phone dropper. Drop that phone. I like that. That's a good That's a good call for that. But yes, they have this clip. And the these are actual quotes. The newsroom, what it was, it was like kind of a mockumentary where they were have fictional stories with the people and the characters, but they were reporting real news that actually happened and they were using real quotes that real people said in the media. It's a very profound uh, show and an interesting idea. Aaron Sorkin, I thought, did not write it very well, but the idea is really cool. That's just my opinion. And they were, they were doing a death ceiling. He, he, was, he was sniffing his own farts. Yes, and he just wrote a bunch of people that are kind of the same character. They all just like talk the same. There's nothing they all just sound like they, they, are, they all just sound like Aaron Sorkin. Yes, they do. Yeah, and the West Wing wasn't like that because in, by this time he had so much power that he could just write whatever he wanted and everyone's like, bro, this is kind of getting weird. But well, and no, no disrespect. I think No, the, he's the, the goat, in, kind of. The cast he's, in West Wing was better too. Yeah, and the writer's room was better and he was young enough that people could yell at him and overrule him. Yeah, so the, and, uh, a similar story with uh, A Few Good Men. So he wrote the play... And then he wrote the screenplay, like he adapted his own play into a screenplay. But still, when you have like the earth shattering power of Jack Nicholson. Yes. And you got Tom Cruise, who is like, you can't take your eyes off him. You got Demi Moore. You got the guy who was supposed to be George Costanza, but ended up being that guy. I forget what that guy's name is. Uh, the, the character or the guy? No, uh, no, I know, it's, I know, it's Sam Weinberg in the like the character, but who's the who's the actor that plays? I him? don't know. I do know that his wife is way out of his league. I definitely remember that. Well, he's awesome. He, yeah, he's, he is he, awesome. It's, so it's just across the board. So you know, he he got a little bit full of himself with the newsroom, I think. But but what was the what was the clip from that you're so, referencing? Really quick, I just want to go now that we're down um, down a rabbit hole. I just want to say, listen to this. This is Rob Reiner, who he directed. Um, 
the movie, right? He directed A Few Good Men. He had a, a run as a director that is honestly absurd. He had a five-movie run. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find it. I really want to get this. It was A Few Good Men, When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, I think... Actually, I don't remember. But he had a five-movie run that was absurd. I think he had like... Um, Lost, I don't remember what it was, but it was great. Anyway, yeah, newsroom the, the, clip. Those three it. movies by themselves. Shocking. Yes. I, I, I don't pay attention to, to directors, and Me I feel either. like I should have because I love a lot of these movies. I mean, everybody loves a lot of these movies. They're, they're, they're classics. But I didn't realize they were all, all those movies were by the same guy. Same guy, and they were completely different, and they, yeah. he directed them in a row. So here, here it is. A Few Good Men, Misery, When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride, Stand By Me. Are you kidding me? Five in a row. So in Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. What the hell? Yeah, I mean, that's like the hottest streak that anybody's ever been on in the history of anything. That's incredible. And they're none, of, none of them are alike. I can't believe that. No. No, yeah. they're all fundamentally different movies, and right. they're all spectacular. Spectacular. Like, or like you can, it's a moment in time, these movies. They're all studied. Like, they're incredible. Dude, I feel like the first, I feel like a little kid eating a really well cooked vegetable for the first time you're like wow like, holy is... shit where has this been my entire life yeah you don't just right have to dip it in, yeah you don't have to dip it in ranch man like it's just really oh good stuff god okay the newsroom right. clip is the That's quote cool. is from jamie diamond and there are some goldman sachs people that are saying things like this is in 2011 12 ish if the debate is continued there will be years long damage not if the debt ceiling isn't raised if the debate is publicly continued there will be damage to the economy that will last years. And it is happening right now, this morning, as we record this, hoping that things would happen. Treasury yields stumble as investors anticipate debt ceiling vote. People have lost literal money that will either never come back or will take years to come back as a result of anticipation of a vote. That is, it's a debate. Talking about it is making things worse. It's crazy. It's like, I mean, it's like succession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the, the 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 status of the deal is in question because people are talking about people talking about the deal. Right. That's exactly that's that that is exactly right. So like this, the public sentiment of this is is really bad. It's really scary, of course. But because of brinksmanship, since we we are good game players, the Republican constituents might not understand the depth of what the debt ceiling is and the spending limit and how it's it's not the credit card limit. It's more like what you have in your savings account. The constituents may not because they're out there. They're living their lives. That's fine. We're not all politically engaged all the time. But the Republicans in Congress know that they can't really do this. Some of them, I think, are crazy enough to do it. That's just I government. I think they are. There, are. there are plenty of people that are, and that's for both sides of the aisle for many things. But many Republicans are in office as a result of the people that they are fucking the hardest, which are the mega wealthy. And so this is the interesting thing about having a capitalist society and the interesting thing about brinksmanship. Either... It just in society, either the population will overthrow a situation and there will be riots, in which case everyone needs to be on the same page, or you either piss off everybody or you piss off the wrong people. And I absolutely believe that this is a game of brinksmanship and what the Republican Party stands to gain from this is just other things that they want done. They know if we freak people out enough, they'll panic and they'll give us some things that they wouldn't normally give us. This is threatening nuclear war in exchange for just a couple square miles of Kazakhstan. Yeah, it it really is, and it, it it's kind of well. Actually, you know, it might be a little bit Crimea. more uh, appropriate to say it would be like threatening nuclear war for, say, the peninsula of Crimea. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Or threatening nuclear war for the eastern territories of Bakhmut and uh, Kherson. Well, now that you mentioned it, it doesn't sound all that crazy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? So I, I guess, Nate, w- w- what we have not discussed is what is actually in the deal. So we talk about brinksmanship. Yep. We talk about, it. like, the, so the game theory is threatening catastrophic consequences. But it has to be credible in some way, too. I, I, don't, I don't think we've quite touched on that. Like, if you... If your adversary doesn't take your crazy threats seriously, then you're not really negotiating for anything. But if they believe that you're actually willing to follow through with your ridiculous, asinine, destructive uh, debate, path, debate, yeah, even. yeah. If 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 if, they, if you know your adversary is serious about the debate, then you can get a little bit more room. So there there have to be serious measures in the negotiation process, and there also has to be kind of handholds for your adversary too. Like I think that actually enhances credibility like something that's realistic and reasonable that sounds like an actual demand so that raises the question to us what is actually in the deal so we've got uh got an article here from bbc news that kind of gives a descriptor of what's going on so first and foremost uh the debt ceiling is suspended until 2025 so for the next two years there is no functionally no debt ceiling republicans wanted a freeze on overall government spending like for the next decade all right 10 years keep rates flat that's what we want except they wanted to increase defense spending uh, and they wanted to take that money from other budgets so they wanted to reduce entitlements increase defense spending it's kind of classic what you would expect when people use the term hawk or like warmonger or whatever right this budget would be uh, in line with that kind of description so the agreement that they actually reached it keeps defense or it keeps all non-defense spending flat for an entire year, and then there's a 1% increase in 2025. And where exactly that money is going to come from, not entirely certain. The White House has estimated that government spending is going to go down by about $1 trillion in accordance with this agreement. Uh, But, of course, they haven't officially released calculations and details. There are going to be a lot of negotiations, uh, and there are going to be a lot of staffers and like committee staffers who are going to be really, really busy trying to hammer down exactly where that money is going to come from. Uh, Meanwhile, defense spending is going to increase to $886 billion, which is a 3% increase from last year. Remember a little bit ago I said there's a $1.99 trillion defense budget? Well, that's because more than half of that is going to pay for uh, veterans' benefits and, and medical care. So full funding for the medical care of military veterans is also expected to increase, uh, but that is already in line with what President Biden was hoping to get. So a lot of the specifics are still up in the air, but the goal of freezing spending for 10 years, Republicans gave a little bit of ground on that, and the White House in turn was willing to give a lot of ground on curtailing some of the more ambitious spending projects that they had had that's going to result in a net increase in spending by 1% in 2025, no increase in 2024, and uh, the defense budget is going to go up. Yeah, so I'll be honest with you. It sounds totally fine. It sounds like a completely reasonable deal, and I it begs the question, por qué no those two weeks ago? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> I, I guess that's a good point. I mean, there, there, there are some other... There's some other points here. So like Republicans wanted to wanted to cut down on the distribution of like welfare benefits. Yeah. Uh, And and there were some minor adjustments there, but there's no like fundamental overhaul. So the the welfare being looked at by Republicans included Medicaid, uh, the the SNAP assistance, the temporary assistance for needy families assistance. Medicaid is untouched. And I think that's partly because a lot of Republican constituents are big users of Medicaid. Well, yes. 
Medicaid, so Medicare, Medicaid, and also the defense budget, we think about it as like these things that you're paying your taxes into. And if you are 50 years old or younger, maybe even younger, 40 years old and younger, you're like, what the hell? This is like, but as you get older and you realize what's happening around you, it's not like we're just taking this money and we're buying like Pokemon cards. What happens with Medicaid is people, (laughs) the people that receive the Medicaid payments are businesses. Like that is an economic thing that it's a little socialisty, sure. My guess, if you want to argue about it, but paying for the health of this population, specifically the people who need it the most, <clears throat> forgive me, is incredibly important. But it's not like it's we are buying toys. They are going to hospitals and drugs, and those people have employees, and those people make money. And whether or not you want to argue that these uh, C-suite level executives are taking too much while nurses are underpaid, sure. That's a union conversation, absolutely, but not. And the same thing goes for the defense budget. The vast majority of the defense budget is A, salaries, B, veterans affairs. Yes, that, like, we should, having a standing military supports the country economically in a couple places in a way that other countries simply can't afford to do. It is, an, it, is a, it is a bastion of why we are amazing is because we have enough money to pay a military that is volunteer except for in times of war, and that salary can keep you alive like financially for a long time and it supports local economies. So this is not nothing, right? It's not like Medicaid. You can get a lot of of like monster energy drinks and tattoos of your last name with antlers growing off the side of (laughs) across your back. Memorial Day, you say that joke? Go to Oceanside, California. It's awesome. 10 out of 10. Speaking of socialisty investments in public health care, another demand that Republicans made that they ended up getting in in this deal and, you know, of course, it still remains to be passed, but what they ended up getting was a concession from the White House that emergency funds that had gone to COVID relief should be returned if they weren't spent. So that's money that goes out to like small businesses. And it, it, however, the government tried to pay for COVID to prevent like a huge economic catastrophe and to deal with the major public health emergency. If that money wasn't spent, then it would come back to the government. Congressional Budget Office says that that's going to be about $30 billion of money mm. that the government lent out that is not has not been spent is going to be returned. Uh, one thing that I, I think is a huge, huge bummer just over the last few years, we talk about how hard it's been, how much crappy news there's been, and how difficult it is to ascertain yeah. like what's really serious and what's really bad versus what's like kind of okay. I, th- I, I, I kind of hoped at the beginning of this, as I, I, I think most of us did, that when we pull through this major kind of unprecedented, like, you know, once a century type of catastrophe, there would be like a sense of triumph, like collectively where we're able to like, okay, we beat the disease. We beat the public health problem. We're able to come back stronger and better than ever. Uh, There wasn't really this, this moment of collective triumph and the, the public health emergency officially ended this month. The World Health Organization officially announced that it's no longer a threat. COVID-19 is no longer a pandemic. It's no longer a major public health issue. The U.S. government did the same thing. And there's no real like like relief. We got all of the all of the hard stuff. I mean, more than a million Americans died. You know, millions more are suffering the effects of long COVID and the economy seems to be bouncing back and the current conversation notwithstanding. And there's just no like. I, I think we're, it, it's, it's one of those things like, oh yeah, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like, no, actually it just kind of wears us down and makes us worse and frankly, a little bit crappier to each other. Yeah. So I have a couple thoughts on this. So <clears throat> I was in medical journalism at the time and not a lot of this, mostly reporting on studies and talks and things, but then all of a sudden there's like a, a medical crisis and it got really fun for me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, of course I'm going to do my job. This is really important work. And the specialties I worked in 
weirdly turned out to be incredibly significant to the pandemic, notably weirdly dermatology. Um, but what I started to start to understand, and I, I'm not an expert now, I was an expert at COVID communication at the time, not in COVID and COVID communication. And what I understood at the time is that the virus, and we've talked about this with vaccines, the virus was so perfect for humanity that if it had been two to 3% more deadly, I think we would have that moment. If the two or 3% ends up being what, 200,000 people per whatever millions or whatever, like a couple more million more people died. If it had been 10% more deadly, if it had been 80% deadly, the way that something like smallpox was or like the bubonic plague back in the day, then we would have had that moment. But it is the correct percentage of deadly and significant for people not to quite care. And the vaccine makes you so not that sick that people stopped really caring. And as a result of that, there wasn't this collective sigh of relief the way there was when something like um, tuberculosis and uh, cholera are kind of, yeah, polio is a great one. That's like, that's like it. And people are not, they were never scared after about the six month mark. And as a result of that, I completely agree with you. I will say this emphatically, and I'll say it right now, we're talking about the debt ceiling in American history. The results of COVID financially on the country and specifically the medical system is a cancer. We have 10, 10 years or so to become a socialized healthcare country, a single payer system, or it is going to get bad. Um, I you heard it here first, player three. I, I think you and I had this conversation in 2018 in, in New Jersey, and we said um, diabetes and the aging of America and it, private insurance is, we got 70 years. Now I would say we got 10 to 20 before Ooh. states start seceding and shit gets weird because it just, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. The boomers are going to die slow. It's going to be painful. It's going to be expensive. And if everybody doesn't pick up the tab, if we make insurance do it and our premiums go up and stuff, it ain't happening. Things are going to get bad. So we got, Damn. it's a cancer. We have stage one cancer right now. Um, there was a literal doctor strike, a resident strike, and that has never happened in New York. Not like with the new Thanks. thing. Remember, I, we talked about like this. I'm telling you right now that this is, but you know, that's a fall. Sky is falling. Who knows how serious that is? If we want to exist as a country in 20, 2045, I would say, let's start looking at socialized healthcare because there are too many boomers. There are too few millennials, too few Gen Zers, and there just is no money. Damn. Well, yeah. on yeah, that well, with that happy note, note, yeah, well, that's great. I, I had a muffin. I do want to point out there are a couple of we, we've talked about some of the losses that Democrats had in the in this deal. Allegedly, uh, there there were a couple of uh, of concessions that they they were able to get. So one win was they got eighty billion dollars to help uh, the IRS find wealthy Americans who are not paying taxes and make them pay their taxes. Uh, it, it was part of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act last year, which oh. was basically just a fat check that they wrote kind of across the board. Uh, but but one of the provisions in that was to try to get more of the wealthiest Americans to pay taxes where like they weren't before. Like you can find clever ways around tax laws, or you can just like straight up commit fraud and not not submit your taxes. Yeah, and then you know, so so they get money dedicated to help the IRS uh, get the resources it needs to to get those people and um, get them to pay. Uh, but there's also uh, more money available for energy project permits. So that includes. Renewables, of course, but it also includes fossil fuels, so like coal and natural gas and oil and, and whatever else. So they're they're dedicating money to make it easier for people to do that. I think that's really critically important, and you know, I think you could kind of consider that like a win and a loss for for the White House. Uh, in in the deal specifically, there was not any like clean energy specific. So th this is yeah. This is energy across the board. Uh, there were no increases in taxes, so that's good for us, I guess. Uh, then there's no student loan relief. That's one of the like the political uh. hot button talking points. I think that's one of those those issues that kind of like fills in the news cycle when there's no 
when there's no catastrophe going on, one of the ways to catastrophize is to talk about student loan relief, which, you know, I'm not going to get too far into that, but that was not part of the plan that they reached in this agreement. There's no, yeah. you're, you're, you're not going to get your student loans uh, paid for as a result of this negotiation. Yeah, which is an interesting one. Student loans might be a good episode for us because it just as a general idea, because if you are lent money for something, the idea is that a, a, the lender owns the thing that you used to buy the money for. You mm -hmm. pay back the amount with interest, so they make a profit and you get to have the thing. Like it's what a mortgage is, what loans are. But yeah. if you don't make payments, the bank takes your house or your car because they're like, you didn't pay for it. We own it. You should have paid for it. I would like to see them take my general education degree out of my brain. Yeah, they can't take my dorm parties at 1.30 a.m. That's right. They can't, they can't take the experiences and the friends that I made along the way. So it is, it's weird that we pay them because like they can't, they can't take it from us. They yeah, cannot I, be repossessed. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, it's a way to make money. Our, they, they can take our money, though. I mean, yeah, that's, well, that's right. That's, then that's where we're at with this. So that's a, that's a weird, you know, that, that sounds like a good episode. One of these. You should get into that and make everybody mad, huh? It's controversial, yeah. Well, Chris, did you watch? You haven't watched Succession? No, I watch it. Yeah. Uh, did you watch the whole show? No, I watched season four. Oh, but lay in a little secret. They're all season yeah. four. They're all season four. I saw that tweet. Yeah, it's the same season four times in a row. <laughs> the, the, does the deal get done? Who knows? Stay tuned for season five. Question mark.